Hey, welcome to Blood House, the show where we talk about art house horror movies. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Conkle. And I'm your traumatized voyeur and other host, Drusilla Adela. <laughs> hey, How's Josh, it going? You slept with your makeup on. <laughs> I did sleep with my makeup on. I look very good today. Uh, um, I, I went to... Um, an art show last night it was the opening of uh, the new Creepy Gals exhibit in uh, downtown LA. So it was a very, very raucous, fun night down there. And by the time I got back home after having in and out like an Oscar nominee <laughs> uh, <laughs> at like 1 a.m., uh, I slept on my makeup. So that that is the vibe I am bringing to this episode is I am tired, <laughs> but I have like really, really smudgy eyeliner on. So let's go. That's just the energy. I mean, we record on Sunday mornings. That's like a little peek <laughs> into how the sausage is made. So often we're like, I'm here with wet hair, fresh out of the shower. And, you know, this is like our church. Very much so. How are you? You just got back in town. You've been busy, busy, busy. I have been busy, busy, busy. Um, I'm feeling happy, but a little over borderline overwhelmed. I, I just wrapped on my film, which was like, such a dreamy experience. We filmed in this like 125 year old 12 bedroom oh. house in the Catskills. So the whole cast and crew lived there for those days. God damn. Um, it was in the snow. It's like a, a sort of folk horror, gothic romance Christmas movie. And it's like snowy. And we had, you know, this beautiful catering. And I made it with my best friend, Megan, who is also the lead actor. So it just was like, a very positive, super dreamy experience. I have no idea if it'll cut together and be like a good movie, <laughs> but the cinematographer was incredible. It looks beautiful. It was a super fun experience and I'm super excited to go into post-production on it. Um, so yeah, that was a good experience, but I don't love no offense to anyone who lives there, New York city. So I tried to spend <laughs> as little time as I could there um, but while I was there, I did see, I went to the Angelica, which is a mm -hmm. classic art house movie theater, of course, and saw um, All of Us Strangers, which I was late seeing. Uh. Absolutely loved, could not have loved more. Um, and at some point, there's a scene where they have just finished having sex. And then there's this woman who is like, you know, it's a gay movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. So just imagine two men have had sex and this woman like five rows over whispers to her friend, but in a way that everyone could hear, she goes, that's come. <laughs> <laughs> it was loud enough that a lot of people laughed and it just felt so funny that she felt the need to explain it to her girlfriend. And it's just like, well, you are really not amongst your people right now. <laughs> okay. Okay. But hear me out. What if that woman was like out on the town in New York City with her friend who's on her first rumspringa, had no idea about the world. Her friend takes her to big old New York City to see all of us strangers. And she's heard about this come so much, but she's never seen it. So she had to explain to her in the movie. First of all, I love the idea of women in their 40s going on Rumspringa mm -hmm. all of a sudden, because that's how old they were. And second <laughs> of all, I hope that people on Rumspringa go see Andrew Hay movies at the Angelica. <laughs> I somehow doubt that that's what they do. There used to be a reality show about kids on Rum Rumspringa. Yeah, I remember. And, um, 
it seems like they did a lot of sucking and fucking on Rumspring, uh-huh. and a lot of drinking and drugging, not so much going to see art house movies, but you know, someone out there is doing it, I bet. Imagine being raised Amish and then going on Rumspringer and your first like expi- like exposure to a movie is like an Andrew Hay movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Weekend would be if you were like a closeted Amish person seeing Weekend. It would change I bet your that life. would be pretty life-changing. Yeah. yeah, very much so. I'm now just trying to picture like what is the thing that's going to fuck someone up the most. You know there there's that like kind of like internet like lingo meme whatever of like if i gave a dorito to an like peasant child from the victorian century it would kill them instantly like what yeah yeah like (laughs) if like an amish like 17 year old a rumspringer like wandered into new york city and like showed up at the ifc center or like moma and waltz into a screening (laughs) of like the devils or something do you think they'd be okay (laughs) No, I don't think that they'd be okay at all. Imagine just stumbling into Suspiria. You've never seen a movie Um, before, and you stumble into Suspiria. Suspiria was playing, in fact, at IFC Film Center the night that I saw All of Us Strangers at Angelica. Choices. Five minutes away. I just couldn't get in there on time. I couldn't get in there in time. I had to see a later movie. Um, But I also wanted to shout out, I am living for Arrow Video right now because... I just got my Conan the Barbarian box set, which yeah. I've been for so long for. And it, the transfer is really beautiful. Of course, it's a beautiful release like Arrow always does. But I've also been spending a lot of time as I travel on the Arrow Player app, which I kind of forgot about for a while for some reason. But there's a lot of really cool short films on there right now. There's like a folk horror one that's entirely in Welsh. That's really good. Um, and then I also watched a bunch of movies by this filmmaker that I'd never heard of, who's named Jose Mojica Maris. Sorry if I pronounced that. Coffin name. Joe. He's like a Brazilian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like a Brazilian horror filmmaker. I just bought um, the giant the Coffin first... Joe box set from Arrow. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. a lot of those movies are on the app, and he's basically the first Brazilian horror filmmaker. The movies that I watched reminded me a lot. They're in black and white. They reminded me a lot of um, Mario Bava's like gothic black and white period pieces. They kind of have that energy. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I watched was called At Midnight, I'll Take Your Soul or something like that. But the, yeah. they're just super fun and really beautiful. Great black and white texture. I just really loved them. So that's a shout out for Arrow, which I feel like we shout out every every episode anyway. But <laughs> I'm just Arrow really, really loving. When you brought up the Conan thing, I was like, oh, I should bring up the fact that I just got the Coffin Joe set. And lo and behold, Here we are. I had to like hunt that thing down like a motherfucker. <clears throat> it's finally available on Amazon for like $70. I paid <sighs> more than that. But like, I, I, I've been trying to see these movies since I was in high school. Because I would see, like, videos on YouTube of clips from them. Or, like, Mm -hmm. YouTube film critics circa 2010, 2009. Talking about, like, the strangest horror movies you've never seen. And talking about At Midnight, I'll Possess Your Soul. Or, you know, what the titles are insane. And so to finally have, like, nearly all of his films, including, like, there's, like, some sex comedies in there. And some, like, psych like psychoactive like acid trip religious films and like 
Yeah. I'm so excited to dive into that set. I'm so happy that you're also discovering him at the same time. Yeah, they do have the energy that we talk about on the show a lot, which is that like you would put these on at a Halloween party mm. to play like under pop music at your party because they're just like they're very aesthetic. They have a yeah. very specific black and white 60s aesthetic that's super good. But these are also Brazilian, right? So they're coming from a very different very different culture and there's they, they often involve like mythology or folk tales that we're not familiar with as Americans. And so it has like an interesting, it's a, feel, a bit like watching those old Japanese ghost story movies, you know, like it, it feels like that a little bit, but super cool. Yeah. I cannot wait to dive into those. I'm so happy that you're getting into those at the same time. Yeah. Oh my God. How about you? I, have you been watching anything cool? I've watched so much stuff in the week between right now and the last episode that we've recorded, which was a week ago from today. Um, I've watched so many movies, which it's, it's almost hard to believe that it's only been a week, um, that Mm. I've watched all of these movies within (laughs) the time of spoiler alert. It's not, we take breaks. Um, yeah, I (laughs) watched, (laughs) (laughs) I watched some fucking bangers. I want to at least mention the one thing I saw in theaters, like of a new release that just came out. Um, there's a new Diablo Cody movie out called Lisa Frankenstein. Frankenstein. It's so Ooh, fucking good. Um, I mm. had the privilege of seeing it last year um, in a rough cut um, and going to the theater and watching it uh, in full was such a fucking delight. Um, I went with my girlfriend and we came in kind of early to get good seats. And then I went out to get popcorn. And by the time I came back, the theater was packed to the gills. Ugh. And I feel like most everyone in there was below the age of 22 um that's great news it was like mostly like young queers in there and when like when the trailers were going there was a lot of like buzz and talking and stuff like that the moment that the focus features logo came up every like teenager in the back went it was awesome everyone shut the fuck up everyone had a great time everyone was laughing their asses off um it's so goddamn like just delightful and fun um, like taking a, like a Frankenstein story and making the main character like a 17 year old girl, the way that Mary Shelley yeah. was when she wrote it is lovely. It's got like, you know, a lot of love to like George Millais and GW Pabst and like a lot of love for silent film, both Catherine Newton and Carl Sprouse's performance are really like rooted in a lot of silent performance. Cole Sprouse has like barely any dialogue. And he's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, it's really, really, really good. I think you're going to love it. I know a, a lot of people are kind of like tired on like 80s pastiche and horror stuff of late. I feel like Stranger Things really like mm-hmm. did an entire decade dirty. But um, Lisa yeah. Frankenstein is a delight. <laughs> and it's really, really, really fun. It's directed by Zelda Williams, um, who's Robin Williams. Right. Robin star. Williams is a kid. Um, yeah. And you know what it's it's a delight it's really really fun to see diablo cody get back to what she did so well in jennifer's body this is a lot more fun and frothy and romantic but it's it's a hoot. Uh-huh. i, I can't wait it. to see that i did see i mean i haven't been following it very much in terms of like reviews and since i'm not on twitter anymore i'm kind of like out of the loop on kind of buzz and chatter i did see a headline that said critics are 
treating Lisa Frankenstein or critics are making the same mistake with Lisa Frankenstein that they made with Jennifer's body. And that made me worry a little bit. Yeah. The the majority of the people that I've spoken to who've seen it have loved it. The majority of the film critics that I've read talking about it are like really not into it. And I totally don't understand what's going on there. Um, Yeah, I know. um, BJ Colangelo, friend of the pod and a critic, um, mm -hmm. loved the movie. And she was, I did see posting about like, well, no one's platforming the voices of queer film critics who all seem to really love this movie. So Alonzo Duralde hated it, who's a queer film critic. He wasn't into it. Mariah Gates wasn't into it. But mm, I've not trusted either of their taste a lot lately. So I don't know. Okay. It's... I really don't want people to, yeah, repeat the history of Jennifer's body because I feel like so much of the past five years has been people finally coming around and being like, what What did we do to this movie? How do we do it so wrong? And now they're going to do it all. I don't want them to do it all over again with Lisa Frankenstein. Lisa Frankenstein right. is super fun. It's so, 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 so good. It's not a fucking pastiche. It's not trying to be... 10 other things it's just genuinely its own lovely little story and it's great i think yeah listeners should go see it um i also got to see um something else in the theaters this past week uh because there was a ken russell uh double feature over at the new beverly i had to skedaddle midway through because a friend was having a birthday party that night so i didn't get to see the b picture which was layer of the white worm which i've already seen many times we've covered Mm -hmm, on the show mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but i did finally get to revisit altered states in 35 millimeter which was so fucking fun i love that movie so much i don't think i'd seen it since high school i haven't i don't think i've ever seen it to be honest first of all william hurt is so hot it's his first movie he's the lead um you also get bob balaban um wearing your exact glasses uh, (laughs) and sitting behind computers while william hurt is in a fucking jar of goop doing drugs um it's really 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 good it's also like it's written by patty chayefsky um who wrote network Mm. um he disowned ken russell's movie but um it's really good and it feels like it came out in 1980 and it feels like on the whole ken russell playing it straight and like because it was his first big studio movie after um valentino and litzomania which were kind of mm-hmm. bombs financially mm-hmm. um and he's like playing it safe for the most part but then it's also the first like treating it like an important like science fiction drama but then it's also like the birth of his like 80s video glitch horror stuff that we get in Land of the mm-hmm. White Worm um, and Crimes of Passion, stuff like that. And that stuff is so fucking cool. But then it also kind yeah. of becomes a body horror monster movie near the end as well, predating the effects work and set pieces in like American World in London and The Howling um, and Cat People while also doing mm. a lot of what David Cronenberg would be doing like two to three years later and just dominating the 80s with. Um, it feels like it would make a great double feature with Cronenberg's remake of The Fly. It like it Ooh. feels like a missing text for 1980s science fiction horror um, that doesn't yeah. get discussed enough. And it was one that like I found 
at a half price books in Indiana for a dollar. And it was like, this sounds good. I think I'd heard like a reference to it um, somewhere and just decided to give it a go. And like, it was one that I watched a lot in high school because it was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. I remember the cover very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the music video for take on me by aha is significantly inspired by it. Weirdly. (laughs) That's so weird. It's really good. I loved it. Um, I, I feel like Ken Russell's having a moment because of that Criterion collection. Because it feels like everyone's watching The Devils for the first mm-hmm. time. Um, I just watched The Boyfriend for the first time, which I absolutely <sighs> loved. I mean, couldn't be more beautiful. Twiggy is such a charming actor. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know because she's a model, of course. Um, I'd never seen her act outside of like cameos on Absolutely Fabulous. And the Blues she's Brothers. adorable and charming. Oh, yeah, that's right. I just loved it. So I'm glad that people are getting into Ken Russell. Yeah, like horror is on the Criterion channel, too. I, a friend of mine just watched that for the first time and loved it. Um, mm-hmm. He's really having a moment. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that this all leads to more physical media releases of his stuff in the future. So the stuff is more accessible because eventually a spotlight of the Criterion channel is going to go away after so many months due to licensing yeah. reasons. So hopefully... And if if nothing else, we need a physical release of the uncut version of The Devils. Like, Good come Lord. on, what are we even doing? <laughs> hopefully Dad, David Zaslav doesn't just delete it. Like so oh many movies. Um, Monster. I also watched... Uh, I just want to quickly run down some like older movies I watched for the first time recently that were fucking amazing. Um, I watched the Polish movie, the Saragossa manuscript, which mm-hmm. fucking blew my mind. Fucking incredible. I loved it so much. Great black and white three hour long art house movie from the 60s. That is like as much a comedy as it is a horror movie. It's so good. Reminded me so much of Buñuel and Pasolini. And I loved it. Mm. Speaking of Pasolini, I finally watched Teorima with, um, um, What's his hot name? He's so hot. What's his name? Terrence Stamp. Oh, um, yeah. uh, and Anna Wyzamski, Jean-Luc Godard's girlfriend, wife? I don't know. Um, it's, I mean, it's the setup is that Terrence Stamp shows up at a, like, a bourgeois house uh, and seduces every member of the family and then leaves. Ooh. He shows up. <laughs> he seduces... The father, the mother, the son, the daughter, and the housekeeper. They all fall in love with him. He fucks all of them. And then he's like, I have to leave now. And then just departs. And that's the (laughs) midpoint of the movie. And then the rest of it is them all dealing with this. Like Um, the fallout. Amazing. It's incredible. It takes such fucking leaps. It is now my new favorite Pasolini movie. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, And then Ivor and I stumbled across... Uh, a movie that had a resurgence like 10 years ago or something um, at CD Trader up in the Valley recently and decided to take it home with us because it's unavailable now and out of print, which is a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, the 1970s Italian cult insane insanity. That is the visitor um, with John Houston and Franco Nero. Oh, I love that movie. I didn't know that that was unavailable. Oh no. I it went out of movie. print. Now I want it. Draft Ugh, House. It was put out by Draft a- House Films, who also put out Ms. Forty Five, and they they don't yeah. exist anymore. Damn! So you can't yeah. get Ms. Forty Five either. Mm-mm. I had to import a French one recently. 
Damn. I know. The Visitor's a crazy movie. The I Visitor's- love it. <laughs> Every single day since then, Ivory and I have been quoting the mommy, mommy, look, she tosses a gun at her mom and shoots her and paralyzes her. A movie in which a woman gets a romantic abortion from Sam Peckinpah. Insane. It's Franco Nero plays like Jesus in like an intergalactic (laughs) fight against the bad seed, essentially. It's so weird. It's so fun. It's so beautiful. It's one of the only movies where Shelley Winters survives. <laughs> like Lance Henriksen <laughs> is in it. Glenn Ford is in it with a really bad sore in his lip for the whole movie. <laughs> it's such a weird movie. It's so good. <laughs> and and a it's great like, cover. Great poster art. Great poster art by Brandon Schaefer, um, who is uh, the fucking king of kings and the former host of the great podcast, The Poster Boys. Um, fucking gorgeous. I love that movie. I wish it... Um, I, it had a big moment like 10 years ago or something when draft house and alamo kind of like rediscovered it and re-released it um but i it it deserves it deserves an, a third coming it deserves to be it was, visited because it it's was nuts. streaming for ages it was on shutter or something that's how i watched it. i've never yeah. owned this or rented it yeah yeah it I like we found it and i was like oh yeah that's that one's supposed to be fun and i looked it up and it was just like gone everywhere just Poof, disappeared. It's too bad. I uh, yeah. also have a VHS copy of it, which is <laughs> of course. Will, will be how I will be displaying it for parties when friends <laughs> come over. I would expect nothing less. <laughs> uh, speaking of fun, insane movies that look beautiful. Yes, yes. Today we are discussing a good one. It is a, I would argue, like an art house horror 101, and we are late to covering it. Um, but it's it's a good one. We are discussing from 1960, directed by Michael Powell, Peeping Tom. Mark, what do you do? I work in a film studio. I hope to be a director very soon. What's going on here? Murder. All this filming isn't healthy. Mark? Don't be shy. What are these films you can't wait to look at? My interest is in fear. Have you gone crazy? Yes. Put that camera away! So, this is the second time I've seen this movie. I saw this the first time. I kind of only half saw it, to be honest, because... I was like in my early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, and I was dating an older man who was very handsome. And we watched this at his house. And, you know, basically we didn't make it through the whole movie. <laughs> or, or the movie was on in the background as I, you know, got my back blown out or whatever. Um, <laughs> so that's the, only, that's the only time I've seen this movie until this week, w- watching it for the show, where I like gave it my full attention um God how damn. about you this was one of the many like art house 101 movies with like eyes without a face and discreet charm of the bourgeoisie um in the seventh seal that i like watch i think like freshman year of high school or something like that because my library back in fucking indiana had for some reason a glut of criterion dvds which was super fortunate for me 
Um, and this was out of print. It's still out of print in America on disc. Oh, is um, it? Hmm. It was out of print then over 15 years ago and still out of print now. Um, though there is a new 4K restoration that's been playing theatrically in, um, I think New York, but London definitely. Um, so hopefully that'll precipitate a new home video release in the coming year. It needs to happen. Um, but it was one that like, I very early on was like getting into art house movies. And I thought that a good gateway into art house movies would be through horror movies. Um, and (laughs) I was right. And I'd heard about Michael Powell because I'd seen interviews with Martin Scorsese talking about the red shoes and how much he loved the Mm -hmm. red shoes. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like a fucking ballet movie. That sounds girly and dumb. Uh, (laughs) Jokes on you, former Drew. I am girly and dumb. Um, (laughs) You're literally a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I fucking loved the red shoes. And so I was like, "Mm, okay, let's see what else these guys got. Uh, And so I watched Peeping Tom, was totally befuddled by it, but loved it. Um, and was really like shocked and surprised. It was also around the time I was getting into Brian De Palma movies, and these mm-hmm. are like two sides of the same coin. I watched it a lot in high school, and then when I was in college, I finally was able to buy a copy of it um, from like a Reckless Records in Chicago or something like that, um, and watched that a bunch in college. And then at some point, I had to sell it, and I haven't been able to watch it since. And then uh, it popped up in the Criterion channel recently, um, and I was so excited to rewatch it for this. Like, the moment that it popped back up on there, I was, like, dancing around Ivory every night, being like, do we want to watch Peeping Tom tonight? Do we want to watch Peeping Tom tonight? <laughs> so when it came up to do this, I was like, ooh, excuse. Now we have to watch Peeping Tom tonight. <laughs> Spoiler alert, uh, listeners, Ivory loved it. Like, within the first of shot of, like, the lingerie store, her mouth was on the floor, and it didn't pick back up. I mean, I think the first shot is my favorite shot in the whole movie, to be honest, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, this movie, I think, like we talked about with the others, I kind of get a sense that this is a movie that time has turned into an art house favorite because it seems like from everything I read when it came out in 1960, people really did not like it because of no, the No, they did not. <clears throat> Michael Powell seemed to take a real hit career wise because of this yeah. movie. So it seems oh, yeah. like it's one of those movies that kind of gained a cult following over over the years. Synopsis-wise, this movie follows um, Carl Boehm, who plays Mark Lewis. And he is a focus pooler for a movie studio and um, also a serial killer. He <laughs> is... Constantly with his, um, you know, film camera, um, he can't be without it. It's like a security blanket. And basically he films himself, he films himself murdering women. So there's a lot of POV in this. And he's, he's like trying to capture fear on, on women's faces. And it's all because his daddy, who is a famous psychologist, abused him and did experiments on him. And he's kind of cutting together his own snuff film of all of these murders. He lives in a boarding house, which his family owns, and he slowly starts to fall for the young woman who lives beneath him, and it all kind of falls apart. I don't know. Any? Would you add anything or adjust anything? That's that's pretty close. I mean, he also uh, moonlights as uh, an erotic photographer as well. Oh, um, yes, he does. Which is 
lovely. Cool. Um, the entire movie uh, is both his relationship to cameras, his relationship to violence, and his relationship to women. Because he's constantly surrounded by women. His, his downstairs neighbor that he gets a crush on and starts to like... She gets a crush on him first. And they start to have yeah. a romantic um, something. Uh, she lives with her mother, who's a blind woman, but hears him in the house. Uh, it's so really 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 good um and yeah and the blind woman is on to him like she's she's blind but she's the one who's like this guy's no good i hear him upstairs he's a creep and she's right (laughs) but those moments are really good when she's like she can just feel him behind her or whatever like that stuff is really cool Mm -hmm. um i will also say this came out in 1960 the same year as another british director's big horror movie alfred hitchcock's psycho um, mm-hmm. and this is also because of the use of the killer POV. This wasn't the first instance of the killer POV. I think hangover square from like 44 or something like that. A lot of those old forties Fox movies, um, had some mm-hmm. killer POVs. Um, but this is one of the most important ones and, you know, associated to a serial killer who is murdering women with, you know, a sharp bladed instrument it is yeah. frequently cited as being the first slasher movie, at least if you ask Scream 4. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't quite buy that. I mean, I hear that all the time. I And I see the influence of this movie on slasher movies, of course, because of the POV. But I think it's a little bit of a reach to call this a slasher, personally. Yeah. It, it truly doesn't feel like a slasher in any way, shape, and form. And I, I don't know how much of a release... It had. I know it was pulled from distribution in England after like a matter of days, um, yeah. because of the commotion it caused. I don't know how well it was released or received in America at the time because there's only there's always so much to do made over its controversy in England. So I don't know how much of an impact it would have had on, say, John Carpenter, Bob Clark, Steve Miner, the people that like made the slasher boom in the seventies and eighties. I don't know if they saw this movie. Well, it was released um, in 1962 in the United States by Astor Pictures, um, and it was released, you know, simultaneously as a horror film, an art film, and an exploitation film. And it sort of—I'm reading the Wikipedia right now. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not reading the Wikipedia. <laughs> it failed to find an audience as an audience, and was one of the least successful releases by Astor. The film received a B rating from the National Legion of Decency, signifying <laughs> quote morally objectionable in part content the organization identified voyeurism and sadism as key elements of the film in its rating so doesn't seem like it did too well in either yeah <laughs> it, i mean i maybe it played on tv in the late 60s early 70s, later on later on potentially and had some influence i don't know I feel well, it like... Had to do, it, I mean, it found a cult audience, so, you know, that didn't come from nowhere. I imagine it was through television. That's usually how it happens. I th- the I know that the big resurgence of Michael Powell's career um, happened in the late 70s and the early 1980s um, by Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola, who worked tirelessly to... A, start the Film Foundation, and B, start the Film Foundation with locating, discovering, and restoring as much of the uncut versions of Michael Powell and his co-director Emmerich Pressburger's earlier movies, uh, The Red Shoes, Black Narcissus, Life Without the Colonel Blimp, Tales of Hoffman, all of those movies, none of which are horror movies, 
even though right tells of hoffman has his moments um as his black narcissus um so i feel like uh it's possible that this had its resurgence around that time with those movies um and that mm-hmm. would also land at the exact same time that the slasher boom was in like its full swing um yeah. so i could see the argument for this is like the rediscovered slasher that um was seen at that time and then was yeah. marketed as the first slasher um well Criterion plays a part in this as well, right? Like they mm-hmm. did the physical release of it. I remember working. I feel like this was one of the releases I would see in the. So I worked as as the DVD merchandiser at the Virgin Megastore in Union Square in the two thousands, and I feel we had a Criterion aisle like dedicated to Criterion, and I feel like this was in there by then. But you know, Criterion when they're at their best helps usher the revival of movies like this. Um, yes. Back in 1994, they put it on Laserdisc. Yeah. So, yeah, right. So, um, so it, also it's worth mentioning that this is on the Criterion app right now for anyone who wants to rewatch it or hasn't seen it. Yeah. So I feel like it, it had a, a resurgence more than likely in the late seventies, early eighties. And that's when it got, it's like, I don't, I, again, I can't speak to how much influence it had. I mean, maybe by the 80s, people were watching it on home video and VHS or seeing it in revival screenings, and then that inspired slasher films. But I digress. Um, it's great. It's I. It's yeah. very, very easy to see that it had a big influence on the work of Brian De Palma because literally it's a man, like, stroking his camera <laughs> and yeah, murdering and women we- with a tripod. <laughs> And it's POV, but it's like, it's literally through a camera. So it's like literally cinematic, right? You're like through the camera's eyes to the point where it has like a cross through the picture that you're seeing. And it's like, you're following these sex workers to murder them. It reminded me in that regard of Arabato, where the Mm -hmm. camera is the vampire, basically. Um, And I looked up, you know, like uh, uh, critics had a field day with like the Freudian themes of this movie. But the one that I thought was most interesting was peter keogh's um take on this which he said cinema here is equated to sexual aggression and a death wish the camera to the phallus photography to violation and film to ritualized voyeurism that's a pretty cool quote (laughs) i mean it feels like it feels like um preachy or or like moralizing Mm -hmm. but, but i think i take it in a different Fun. way. Like, yeah. I think that that was his intention, but that makes me want to watch the movie. You know what I mean? I think he's right. It's cool. You know, It's also like, so there is like a big, you know, quote unquote sleaze, like, like prurient interest in this movie. That's very like enjoyable and fun for horror audiences, especially like if you want to take a look into like, 1950s 1960s like british lingerie shoots and stuff like that so goddamn Mm -hmm. fun um but also like this is a very odd instance where one of the like most artistic and technically accomplished filmmakers of the time is making a horror movie like at the top of their level this movie is gorgeous this movie is bathed in color 
this like yes. predates everything that Mario Bava and Dario Argento were going to do because it's the cinematic language of the red shoes and of Black Narcissus mm-hmm. and the matter of life and death. Um, it like I I would only compare it to like the way that like Stanley Kubrick followed up Barry Lyndon with The Shining. Like we're not going to see Christopher Nolan's follow up to Oppenheimer be a Stephen King adaptation, right? Like yeah, yeah. We're, we're not gonna see um or i guess like i you know the other one i can think of is which one we covered on the show pedro almodovar's is gonna live in where like you get a real really 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 cinematic um treatment of horror as a genre and i that's part of the reason why i love brian de palma so much is because all of these things treat horror with respect and reverence and know that it can do a lot cinematically it's, you, you it's know very unique. Made, yeah. This is, you know what I mean? What this made me think of? This is a newer movie. And I feel like when I bring it up, I feel like maybe this is a movie that you don't like, but it's a movie that I love, which is the Elijah Wood remake of Maniac. I haven't seen it. Oh, I saw it the year that I lived in New Zealand and it was actually banned in New Zealand. So the only screening <laughs> of it ever was this uh, Auckland film festival screening that I was at. And I just loved it. It's super stylish. It's Elijah all POV, Wood plays right? the killer. It's entirely through the killer's POV. Cool. You never come out. So the only time you ever see Elijah Wood is if he's like looking into a mirror or something like that. And it's the same setup. He falls in, he owns this um, factory where his family makes mannequins and has, but for generations in downtown LA. And he falls in love with this girl. Who's a photographer who comes to like, take photos of the, mannequins and he's like trying not to kill her and it's not just the pov it's the way that both of these actors play psychopaths as like really sympathetic and that's psychopath as the main character you know i think that's the other thing that really aggravated british audiences was not only is like england's most elite premier like filmmaker who got the through, through the war and is like the like most awarded filmmaker like slumming it in the gutter but he's bringing his beautiful aesthetic with him and mm-hmm. Karl Heinz Bohm the great the lovely german actor um who after this didn't get a lot more british work but got a lot more work <laughs> in germany with Rainer von Fassbinder, Fassbinder. <laughs> my love um we he's love him. so fucking sympathetic he's so like char- like he should be a little incel that you want to fucking flick away like a gnat but he's a like sweetie, charming little boy who's been like severely traumatized and tortured by his father, um, and I think a lot of that irked audiences in 1960 in England that the movie is not only like shot through his point of view, but also is very sympathetic to him as a character yeah. to the point that the dad in the footage is played by Michael Powell. Yeah. Even um, more so than Norman Bates in Psycho, right? Mm -hmm. Who's much less sympathetic because we're not in Norman Bates's point of view in that movie. We're in, you know, the two women's point of view, basically. Um, Yeah, he just plays it as very sympathetic. You really care for him. And I think your point about how audiences took it is is well taken, but I I think we're in a moment like that again, where people want bad characters to be punished. People, you know, people we're like in like every day Gen Z gets on the internet and reinvents the Hayes code. Um, God. (laughs) Where it's like, 
you know, people seem to want morality plays right now. They want to see bad characters punished. They want to see good characters succeed. And so this kind of movie really gets under the skin of people who are, let's face it, kind of media illiterate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the opening scene of this so much. It's my favorite part of the movie, actually, is like where you open in camera POV and he is soliciting a sex worker who's talking into camera. He follows the sex worker up to like a pay by hour sleazy motel room and murders her by um, tripod. So basically he takes the cover off one of the tripod legs and it has a knife on it. And that's how he kills the woman. But it's so beautifully shot. The color she's wearing, like a she's wearing red and blue, which are very vibrant. Everything about it is just Mm -hmm. so beautiful. There's another aspect of his kills that they kind of like leave as a twist for the end of the movie. Because every time he kills someone, he takes the point off the tripod, goes in, but then something shines in their face and they get really freaked out and they start yelling at him. What is that? Take that away. Take that away. Take that away. What is that? What are you doing? Every single time he kills someone and it's not until the end that you see what it is. And he's got this giant warped mirror that he puts on the front of his camera that tosses light back on them, but also like forces these women to watch themselves be murdered in this super bizarre funhouse mirror style. It is fucked up. <laughs> it is so yeah. weird. And there was like the clinical way that he talks about coming up with this and designing this. My favorite scene actually, um, is i think it's like the second murder in the movie um which is a lovely set piece with maura shearer from the red shoes mm-hmm. who is act he's an actual ballerina um who kind of had yeah, a career ruined dancer. by the red shoes um who is an extra on the like light comedy that he's working on who decides to uh stay after the shoot so that she can he can shoot a test reel of her so that maybe she can get a little bit more famous and it's just the two of them on the soundstage playing around on the set. She's very excited. She's dancing around to her little like radio. And he's just like setting up the lights. She's talking about how comfortable he makes her that it's hard for her to be serious and do the scene because he just makes her so comfortable. He's just so easy to be around. Um, And he's just calmly sets up the lights. The, her dance too she's like moving the lights around with the dance and it all like stays perfectly and it's so beautiful it's so well done and then her death in the trunk is so good it's it's a really really magical scene it reminds me a lot of the frankie goes to hollywood set piece from body double um Mm -hmm. it's it's it reminded lovely. me of like old Anne Margaret dance numbers. Like yeah. the dance like moves Bye Bye themselves Birdie. are very Anne Margaret in the sixties, and it's like jazz music with bongos. It's just it's super chic. It's super fun. I also word. one of my other favorite scenes that I had entirely forgotten about until this rewatch involves the blind mother from downstairs. As soon as she's like not only onto him, but onto him, and the fact that he's like been taking his do- her daughter out um they come back from their date and they don't see her so they assume she's already gone to bed and he says good night to her takes her away goes back up to his studio sits down starts working on a film 
and she's in the back of the frame in darkness Mm -hmm. like fucking tony collette and hereditary (laughs) until he notices coming out of shadows it's like a fucking lake mungo setup it's so good and because again this is a michael powell movie so much of this it's such like old school kind of filmmaking so much of this is done in long shots that are just like Mm -hmm. locked out and paced so the camera's moving with the actors and it's very fluid and it doesn't feel like it's slow it doesn't feel like it's a one shot but it creates a great atmosphere and tension and so she's back there while he's doing his thing and we're just watching him and we notice her before he does it's fucking freaky as hell that's Um, great her character to me provides most of the stress of the movie and just mm-hmm. the fact that she's on to him. And that scene is really great because, you know, she's like, tell me what you're working on. Describe the film to me. Like I hear you up here moving around every night. And like, you, this is something you don't understand about blind, blind people, but I know this space without ever having been in it because of your foot patterns on my, mm-hmm. on the ceiling. And just such a great scene, such beautiful writing and such cool performances and it's it's just so good i love the setup of the killer upstairs that you're living with essentially it's kind of a riff on um what alfred hitchcock did in the lodger his silent film from like Mm -hmm. 1929 or something um Mm -hmm. which is a um, jack the ripper story in which like there's a new lodger upstairs and they just hear him pacing around all the time and they think he might be Jack the Ripper. Um, and there's an incredible shot because you can't convey someone walking around upstairs in a silent movie. You can't like play the sound of footsteps. There's an amazing shot right. where the family is at the dinner table that's shot low. So you're looking up and you see the ceiling above them and the ceiling like fades out to glass and then you can see him walking around up there it's so fucking cool but i love that like narrative setup it's done so well in that it's done so well here and then it's repeated again um in dr jekyll and sister hyde um with again all of them are like falling in love with someone who lives in your home who is probably a serial killer and it's really really good i was also thinking I was thinking a lot about Hitchcock while watching this movie because it's like it really feels like Michael Powell stepping into the skin of Alfred Hitchcock while still having his visual language. Um, And there was a quote from Hitchcock that I love um, talking about Psycho. I think it's it's, he did an interview with Peter Bogdanovich in the 60s that's recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was talking about how you can make characters as reprehensible as you want because audiences kind of secretly want that. And all you have to, like, yeah. it, is, it takes very little to get the audience on their side, no matter how bad they've done. Like, studio execs will always tell you, you're going to lose the audience if someone does this. Yeah. And he's like, we're going to lose the audience if they don't do that. He was saying that, like, every audience member that watches Psycho freaks out at the shower scene is terrified and then you watch norman clean up the body and put the car on the lake and the car goes down and stops and doesn't sink all the way and he was like the whole audience gasps and waits because they want him to get away with it yes (laughs) yes that's so smart it's how i always feel about like the idea of likability 
as a writer, because to me, you know, I grew up on John Waters movies as like my very first, like, this is so important to me. And this is so influential to me, to me, those characters are rotten to the core. Yeah. And what John Waters understands is like the more rotten a character is, the more that you like them because you're, they're living out some sort of fantasy that you might not want to actually do, but there's a part of you that like, there's some lizard brain part of you. That's like, (laughs) that just wants to be free the way that those characters are free, even Mm -hmm. though they're just rotten, you know, like of course, of course there's a part of you that wants to hurl abuses at every single person (laughs) you meet or, do you know what I mean? Like there's every part of us, every one of us has some part of our brain that is Babs Johnson or Mm -hmm. Don Davenport. (laughs) In that interview that I was listening to with Hitchcock, he was saying that like most American audiences can't relate to, uh, being murdered or to murdering right. someone but everyone can relate to not wanting to get caught everyone has yes. that fear everyone has that fear and so when you spend the whole movie when you spend this like the language of the movie all with one character and you show he has a traumatic backstory and you show mm-hmm. that he had a really rough childhood and that he can be amiable and sweet and he is a talented photographer and he's like all of his friends are women and he gets along very well with them and he puts them at ease. You kind of have that, like, I could fix him. I could fix him. <laughs> but if he gets yeah. with her, it's fine. If he just gets away with the murders, it, it'd be fine. There's a scene in this that's much like that where the police come to the film set after Morishira's body is discovered. Um, and he, like, very, like, openly tells his uh, co-workers, like, I'm going to film them i'm gonna film the police this is interesting to me uh and he like sneaks his little eight millimeter camera into his interview and stuff like that and when the investigators are searching the set he sneaks up into the rafters to film them and when ivory and i were watching it we're like damn he's gonna get a good shot this is gonna be great for his doc this is great (laughs) and then some like pencils slip out of his pocket and you freeze you don't want him to get caught yeah, because you're in his point of view. The movie yeah. is his. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna like whoever the movie is about. Whoever you're following, that's the character you're gonna like. And it doesn't matter what they do, or you know what I mean. It just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You're in their point of view. It's like why every season of Fargo is so good because like yeah. every season of Fargo is about a character who has murdered someone or accidentally killed someone, and the whole season is about people getting closer and closer to finding out their secret and it's so stressful and but it's delightful because you're with that person and that's who you care about yeah because we've all done something quote-unquote wrong that we want to get away with we don't want to be found out we don't want to be persecuted we don't want to um and something like psycho i feel like was able to do better at the time because it allowed he was he, like it allowed the audience to have their cake, cake and eat it too. We could relate to Norman Bates, but we were still primarily relating to his victims, and we like spent the second half of that movie hunting him down with the sister and yeah. the boyfriend. Um, and we were able to be scared, but we got a resolution and all that stuff. Like I. <laughs> I want I want Norman Bates and I want Carl Heinz Bohm from this. I want uh, Mark <laughs> Mark Lewis on his little director chair Mark in his Lewis. little studio. I want Norman Bates and Mark Lewis to somehow meet and fall in love. These sweet boys, maybe they could fix each other. 
I want a whole season yeah, well, of Hannibal about, about this. The other thing about them is that neither of them are like sociopaths. It doesn't seem it. They're not incapable of feeling. They're both trying very hard not to commit these crimes and just failing at it because they're warped and demented. Not because he like really evil. doesn't want to hurt. Um, he really doesn't want to hurt uh, Helen the girl and Massey. The, yeah. the, the girl. When she implies that she would like to be filmed by him, he like clutches his camera and says, no, it will never film you. It will never film you. He's great. He's amazing. Yeah. He's so good. When he kisses his camera, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> he cannot be without his camera. It's like a security blanket. Helen is like, can't you leave that behind? And he has to like really think about it because he hasn't been without it. And he, who knows how long. Well, and speaking of all the Freudian reads into this movie, the room where she's like, I'll put it in here and it'll be safe. It turns out to be his mother's old bedroom that he hasn't changed or touched since she died. And she was like, yeah. oh, I just thought it was a closet. Sorry. And he was like, no, it's okay. It will be safe in there. Yeah. God damn, he got some mommy issues. <sighs> he sure does. And some daddy issues. I mean, the recordings of his father yeah. abusing him as a small child are really upsetting. I mean, it, genuinely. Well, yeah. And like forcing him to like sit with his mom's corpse and stuff like that. And then immediately remarrying yeah. this like bombshell girl like <laughs> six weeks after. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> It's really rough. Um, I fucking adore this movie. It's so fun. It has yeah. all the beautiful prurient pulp I would want with all of the art house, like glory and mystique. It's also very funny. I just, it's ripe mm-hmm. for a revisit. If you haven't seen it, it is on the criterion channel. Um, and I, ad- I adore this movie. Adore it. Anyway, let's move on to our favorite game, Have They Seen It? The game where we speculate wildly whether notable figures have seen this movie. This person is top of mind because I mentioned them. Do you think Elijah Wood has seen this movie? I think so. I think so. He has fucking taste. I mean, as we discussed a few weeks ago. He loves the genre. He loves the genre. His company, Spectrovision, uh, produced Mandy. They also kind of revived the Mondo team with the new company, Mutant. Uh, who just put out the Lisa Frankenstein soundtrack on vinyl. It's all full circle. Um, Elijah Wood rocks. I remember seeing like an interview with him recently where he was talking about um, like his proposal for um, how to continue the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's so, 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 so smart. And he should be allowed to do it. Like... I love him. I have never once been to the Whole Foods in Silver Lake without seeing Elijah Wood. <laughs> um, he looks great. He's in his 40s and he's very chic and fashionable, but like in a manly way. Like if he weren't mm-hmm. Elijah Wood, you'd be like, oh, that guy's like a furniture designer or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like a wood artist. <laughs> he's like chic in that way and that like workman's wear kind of way. Um, just love him. Of course, he's seen this. And, it, and, and he made Maniac, the remake, which I already said is very much yeah. this movie. So for sure, he's seen it. Do you think Brian De Palma has seen this? I mean, like, if he hasn't, my God, he's missing out. (laughs) I don't know if he could have done that museum scene in Dress to Kill without having seen this. I mean, of course he could. He's Brian De Palma. He can do anything. But (laughs) it just feels like it's in conversation with this movie, you know, or like a Mm -hmm. continuation of this movie. Yeah, I Um, feel like Body Double is also very much in conversation with this. I just, yeah, he... (sighs) I, I feel like 
this is the kind of stuff that he puts on before bed to get his wife in the mood. Like, this yeah. is, it's literally fetishistic voyeurism. This is his bag. Like, yeah. if if he hasn't seen it, I want to be there. To, I'm, I'm sure he and Coppola and Scorsese, when they were buddies in the 70s, got to have a big retrospective screening of this uh, with Michael Powell in attendance or something. And he probably had to be escorted out of the theater because <laughs> he got too excited. <laughs> I've never seen him talk about this one. I've only ever seen him talk about Vertigo and Psycho and Hitchcock and stuff like that. No one ever asks him about this movie. It's Yeah, someone should. You should. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, come on the podcast. Him, Let's right? talk to you. <laughs> Um, this person came to mind because I mentioned the show Fargo, but she's the star of the original movie Fargo. Do you think that American actress Frances McDormand has ever seen Peeping Tom? I hope so. I mean, she's married to Ethan Cohen. I assume they have a very large film library um, at their home, or at least like a good knowledge of them. I know that the Cohen brothers specifically rewatch a lot of um classic 60s and 40s movies before they start every project i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if she's seen this i feel do, like she would dig do you it think she would like it you think I so think she would i can't tell i can't tell if she's someone who would like horror movies of any kind she gives me the vibe of someone who would like kind of surprisingly but i don't know i could be wrong you think she likes horror movies you think she's like she loves evil dead too <laughs> i think she does or do you think I feel like okay. Joel and Ethan aren't proud of Evil Dead 2. It's like, like, oh, we got her start. And she's like, nah, that's one of your best ones. <laughs> I think she's like, yeah. I think she's really, really, really jazzed about that. I think she's like, <laughs> loves whenever their buddy Sam comes around to hang out. Yeah. Um, I could, I feel like she could like some of these A24 ones. Like, I bet she would like Hereditary or, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, because I'm she's like, shocked 20, she hasn't been in so one yet. In yeah she'd be cra- i mean she's such a fabulous actor mm-hmm. i mean yeah. um my other one was going to be tony collette <laughs> do you think oh, tony collette has seen um, peeping tom do you know what my gut says no and it's i possible. don't know why yeah not because she's not cool or smart or she wouldn't like it or anything my just like my woman's intuition <laughs> just immediately said no <laughs> oh my god well what do you think it's it's possibly not i don't i don't know if she does a lot of horror i mean she's in krampus she's in hereditary like she's so fucking talented it's possible yeah uh i think she would like but it feels like the kind of movie that like if you didn't catch it at kim's video in the early 2000s maybe you didn't catch it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. which is a shame because again like it hasn't been widely available in the u.s for a long time but I mean, hopefully, um, Tony Collette has a subscription to the Criterion Channel. We can watch it there. I bet she does. I if bet nothing she does. else, she definitely has Criterion. Yeah, I yeah, I would not be surprised. The amount of like, I I was also mentioning this Ivory the other day when I like got into art house movies and I was like growing up and like getting into the stuff when I was in like high school, like. The Criterion Collection wasn't that big of a thing. Like, it was a big thing in the film world. um, But it definitely was not even remotely, like, a gateway film thing for a lot of people. It was a, like, oh, you've already gone through 
all this stuff, you're ready for Andre Vida movies, check out the Criterion Collection. Like, it wasn't... Well, it's that... a much bigger deal now than it was. But I can tell yeah. you, I was the DVD merchandiser at the Virgin Media yeah. Store, and we did have a dedicated Criterion Island. No, 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 no. Like it's always been a big deal. It's been, like, they've been around yeah. since the 80s. It's been, a, it's been a big deal, but it's, like, it hasn't been, like, I feel like... Maybe I'm saying this wrong. I feel like it's popular zeitgeist has changed around it. Like, right. there's, like... The, between the Criterion Channel and them putting out a lot more, um, I mean, they have always put out contemporary stuff. At times, I mean, they put out Pulp Fiction in the '90s, like, um, but like, I feel like the internet and like you know the closet videos like have become memes now. Like, the closet videos are so special; they're so delightful. Um, Paul Giamatti was in it recently. I really hope we get a video with him in there. He's such a horror fan. I was yeah. so excited to see um yeah i i just i don't know i feel like more (laughs) youngsters are getting into this and having access to these movies that i didn't have when i was like 17 um well that could be and it could be because of streaming in part too but i was going to suggest like maybe we both feel like criterion became quote unquote a thing as we became adults because it's a very adult kind of thing it's like this is manhattans and mid-century furniture <laughs> like other yuppie interests like criterion is kind of in that space a little bit i think i mean well to that point i was re-watching an episode of fraser recently where they get a dvd player for the first time and like Daphne uh, wants to watch Caddyshack or something, and Niles brings over literally a Criterion DVD of the unbearable lightness of being. And I was like, God damn it. This fucking <laughs> Frazier can't keep getting me like this. <laughs> yeah, he got your ass. Both great movies, by the way. Both great <laughs> movies. Who's funnier than Daniel Day Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> um Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bloodhouse. If you liked it, please rate it five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. You can email us at bloodhousepod at gmail. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Drusilla, shout out your ads on social media. You can find me and my art over at sisterhidedesign.com. There's a lot of new work popping up over there um, as we speak. There's also prints available for sale at sisterhidedesign.com um, for The Cure, for The Rolling Stones, a lot of really cool stuff over there. Um, all officially licensed um, tour prints um, that I designed. You can also find me um, on Instagram at Hyde Sister. Um, and you can find me on Letterboxd if you look for Drusilla Adeline or Sister Hyde. What about you, Josh? How can people film you without your knowledge? <laughs> Letterboxd, uh, Blue Sky, and Instagram at Joshua Conkle. Now, I'm super excited for our next episode. It's a movie I've been in love with for a couple of years, and it's getting a brand... It's been impossible to see, basically. Mm-hmm. And now it's getting a new release by one of the Vinegar Syndrome like imprints. What is it? We are moving from 8mm to shot on video as we watch shot on video queer cult classic Blonde Death. Ooh, I can't wait. It's so good. See you then. Bye.